Hi guys, it's me, Ethan. I just wanted to thank you for listening and also push you towards our Patreon page, patreon.com slash spoilerscast. I'd really like you guys to check it out. For $5 a month, you get two extra bonus episodes where we look at some of our favorite films and some recent films, and there's a lot of really good stuff on there. On top of that, this month, we've given a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of extra content. We are doing a special Halloween episode for The Shining. We've also begun our first Double Down series where we take a look at a whole season of television, and this time around, it is Stranger Things. We gave you a taste of that with the free Stranger Things episode just before this one. If you really dug it, that's included in that $5 a month, the entire season, and we're coming out Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays with that. So season two, episode two of Stranger Things, when we talk about it on our Double Down episode, is live right now, and episode three will be going up soon. So please, please, please head over to patreon.com slash spoilerscast and check it out. Throw us five bucks. You're going to get a ton of extra content, and it's totally worth it. Thank you, as always, for listening to There Will Be Spoilers, and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 films, 100 podcasts. My name is Matt Bazell. And I'm Ethan Knight. And this week we watched number 69 on AFI's top 100 list of films, 1982's Tootsie. Tootsie. Starring Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. Notable beef boy Dustin Hoffman. That's what they say. He's the best damn tomato out there. And it's also starring my girlfriend, Jessica Lang, and my other girlfriend, Gina Davis. So all of Ethan's girlfriends have made an appearance. We're so happy they could make it and that they're finding work. (laughs) In any case, Ethan, why don't you give us a plot synopsis? So here we go, guys. Tootsie is the story of actor Michael Dorsey, who is brilliant but very unpleasant to work with. When he realizes that no one will hire him because of his reputation, he decides to audition for a soap opera as a woman. His invented character, Dorothy Michaels, lands the role over one of his students, and Michael does not tell her about this. At the start, he sees this job as a way to make just enough money to fund his roommate's play. However, his character on the show becomes a feminist role model for the people around him and for the viewers, and he begins to gain fame. While at his student Sandy's house, Michael is discovered with his clothes off as he wants to try on some of her clothes for Dorothy. Michael covers this up by coming on to Sandy, who worries that after they have sex, things won't be the same and he'll abandon her. Michael promises he won't, and the two make plans that Michael will not be able to keep due to his new schedule. While at work, Michael begins to fall in love with co-star Julie, Jessica Lang, my girlfriend, who dates the sexist director. Julie and Dorothy become friends, and Julie's father begins to fall for Dorothy. Concurrently, an older co-star on the soap opera begins to fall for Dorothy. In the meantime, Michael continues to push the limits with Dorothy, cementing her fame as a feminist icon. Eventually, Julie breaks up with the director. Dorothy comes on to her but is rejected. Julie's father asks Dorothy to marry him, and the older male co-star comes on very strongly to Dorothy. And Sandy becomes fed up with Michael's treatment of her. 
On top of all of this, the soap's producers attempt to sign Dorothy for a year-long contract, which Michael's agent does not think he can get out of. Michael decides to reveal himself as a man on a live airing of a scene in the soap opera and concocts a story that he is the twin brother of his character returned to avenge her death. Bom, bom, bom. Everybody is shocked, and Julie slugs Michael. A while later, Michael continues on with his production of his roommate's play, tracks down Julie's father and apologizes. He returns the ring and eventually waits for Julie outside of work. She confesses that she misses Dorothy, and Michael admits that he treated her better as a woman than he ever could have as a man, and the two walk off into the city. So does that sound crazy for our audience? Because it is, <laughs> it is somewhat crazy. And in fact, I think now is probably the perfect time to talk about the pivotal scene that I chose this film, because yes. it's just so wackadoo that I had to pick the one that comes actually pretty close to the ending, where Michael is talking to his agent, and he's like explaining basically the plot of the film so far, right? He's like, well, <laughs> yes. Julie thinks I'm a lesbian, and Sandy thinks I'm gay, and also two men are trying to be in love with my character, who is a woman, but I'm a man. And so it's just like, I feel like it lingers on the idea that yeah, this is a kind of a batshit plot, right? Like this stuff is yes, crazy. It's wild. So I just wanted to get that out of the way up front because I'm still wrestling with how I feel about this film. Let's listen to the scene. It's two o'clock in the morning. Michael can't just wait. I don't care what time it is, man. You got ten days to get me off this show. I've had That's it. It's possible. Then I'm getting a new agent, George. I've had it with you. What are you doing? You hurt my feelings. What happened? Something yes, like yes. I told. I mean, she thinks I'm gay. I told her about Julie. She thinks I'm gay. Julie thinks you're gay. No, my friend Sandy. I mean, it's crazy. Well, sleep with her and she'll. Die. I slept with her once. She still thinks I'm gay. Oh, it's not so good, Michael. Look, I got to get back to my life. Now, you got wall-to-wall -wall lawyers in that office, right? There must be some kind of way to get me out of this we show now. We've this a million times, man. Why can't right? I die? Why can't Dorothy have an accident? I mean, we can use our imaginations. This isn't the toughest problem. You want to kill somebody and bring me back to stiff? That's okay, but she better look exactly like you because I'll tell you something, those people don't miss a trick. These are nice people. These are good people, George. Well, something is... What is weird about you? Since when do you care so much about what other people feel? I mean, if I didn't love Julie before, you should have seen a look on her face when she thought I was a lesbian. Lesbian? You just said gay. No, 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 no. Sandy thinks I'm gay. Julie thinks I'm a lesbian. I thought Dorothy was supposed to be straight. Dorothy is straight. Les, the sweetest, nicest man in the world, tonight asked me to marry him. A guy named Les wants you to marry him? Yeah, no, not Matt. No, wants to marry Dorothy. Does he know she's a lesbian? Dorothy's not a lesbian. I know that, but does he know that? Know what? Did well, I don't. I don't know. You know, he gave me a ring. He gave me a diamond ring. I. What did you say? What do you mean? What did I say? I said I. I, I gotta think it over. I went in the ladies' room. I almost pissed in the sink. I'm in trouble, man. I think the best way, perhaps, for us to begin to disentangle my confusion about this, and Ethan, I don't know how you feel about this yet, but why don't we talk about themes to kind of figure out where we're standing? Yes. I will admit that I love, 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 love this movie. I enjoyed every second of it, um, although I do think that there may be some, some seriously problematic pieces of it and so i think obviously the first thing we should talk about is gender roles and how gender roles are dealt with in this film because michael's character is not just the the, the character he creates dorothy michaels is not just a a man playing a woman he's a man playing a very feminist strong empowering woman which is good right because what he does is help other women in this story do better in the world right he he becomes a role model for them the problem though is that 
the only way that these women can become empowered is through a man pretending to be a woman. Ethan, I think you've landed precisely on my difficulty with this film. And it's basically mansplaining writ large, right? Yes, I I think I think so, sort of. Not all, not not yeah, hundred percent, but definitely yes. But I think the subtext is that is exactly what you're pointing out that Dorothy Michaels empowers women, but Dorothy Michaels is Michael Dorsey, and Michael Dorsey can empower women with his, I guess, natural masculinity or normal manhood. Yeah. But at the same time, he's a shitty man. He's a good woman, but he's a bad man. And all of the people who are bad to Dorothy, like Jack Van Horn, the elderly co-star, or really the star of the show until she gets there, he basically tries to rape her, right? And Michael points this out as Dorothy. He says, I want you, I want you. That's the same thing he says to Sandy when he's trying to mislead her from, oh, I'm trying to get her clothes. Which, by the way, can we freaking talk about that for a second? She catches him with his clothes off, and rather than say, look, here's what I'm doing, here's why my clothes are off. Instead, he says, I know what I'll do. I'll just seduce her. And of course that works because I'm a man. And right. it's so bizarre. And the the implication here is that Sandy is too emotionally fragile to deal with the fact that, that Michael Dorsey got the job that she auditioned for over him as a woman. Mm-hmm. And so the only thing he can do instead of you know ruining her mental state by admitting that is to lie to her and sleep with her and sleep with her with under false pretenses right like he has no love with her he's just like oh i'll just have sex with her and that'll shut her up effectively yeah and then he proceeds to basically treat her like shit for the rest of the movie because he doesn't really care about her like that but then at the same time the whole reason that he's doing the soap opera thing is to give her a breakout role well, I don't know if I'd say the only reason. It's definitely for him and for Jeff as well, which is Bill Murray's character. Yes. Bill Murray's character writes the play. Michael Dorsey's going to star in it along with Sandy, right? So right. he's doing this for himself as well. Right. Yeah, I don't know how to feel about it. I felt really weird. And, of course, the movie, I think, makes this more difficult for me because they point these things out as well with mirror scenes. You right. have the Jack Van Horn, I want you, compared to his earlier, I want you, of Sandy. Then he's talking to the director, who's Ron, I think his name is, right? Ron. There's actually quite a few characters in this film. Yeah. And with the whole gender swapping, it also makes it a little more complicated. But right. the director says the exact same thing that Michael does about Sandy, right? He says, well, I never promised her I'd be exclusive. I didn't say I would do this. And then Ron says the same yeah. thing about Julie. And, of course, you're you you're on Dorothy's side in, at this point. But... I don't ever. I'm not ever on Michael's side when he says these horrible things about women, which he's not intending to, right? He's not supposed to be a bad guy, but he's just no. careless and insensitive, and kind of the typical masculine male. I have to protect fragile women, and I never promise her these things. It's easier to lie to them because it won't hurt them, right? He's right. talking about this this masculine or, or patriarchal protection over giving them the truth, which is just so weird to me. I think what I think what this film really does well is I think what we're pointing towards is a sense of ambiguity that this film plays with on a lot of different levels. It plays with gender ambiguity, it plays with desire, the ambiguity of like same-sex desire or hetero desire, right? It plays with like do we like Michael 
do we not like Michael? Do we like Dorothy? Because if you like Dorothy, then on some level you like Michael, right? But Well, I, I'd like to challenge that, right? Because he, he brings it up at the end. He says, I was a better man as a woman, right, as Dorothy, than I've ever been as a man to women. So there's this right. argument for empathy here. Yes. Well, because I think the film does ask men to understand i mean it's pretty clearly asking men to understand the sort of plight of being a woman like he sees all these things that like he talks about that when when uh the what's the older co-star's name jack when when jack you know comes on to him he like when and he leaves michael says to bill murray he says that he would have raped me like and and that right Maybe that line played funny in 1982. It certainly did not play funny in 2017. It felt very, like, sobering and frightening. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, we see a lot of, like, what Michael has to go through. Like, he, he experiences on some level what it is like to be a woman, right? Well, if treated- I could linger on that moment you just mentioned with Jack, you know, his attempted rape. Jeff comes yeah. in and he says, well, what was he doing in here? Right? He's already doing some victim blaming, yeah. right? yeah the reason people don't like Michael and don't want to work with him is because he's so pushy and so domineering, right? Well, he's a diva. Michael's a diva. Yeah. And he can get away with that as a man. And so to see this character who at the very beginning gets what he wants, tells people what to do, they blah, 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 blah. He can't keep the co-star out of his, right? The, the, the It shows us the sort of problem with victim blaming, right? Like this is someone who can't even, Michael, Michael Dorsey, it has power, but he can't keep this old guy out of his apartment. There's also something I'm a little concerned with. A scene early on in the film. It's his birthday, and he's at a party at his own place that Jeff has obviously done the surprise party. And he's just hitting on women left and right, left and right. Yes. And I never knew what to do with that scene because it doesn't quite fit into our idea of Michael. So are they trying to show us more of him as a womanizer? Because that definitely doesn't come through, really. And so it's just problematic it's just a weird scene where he's just hitting on all these women and some of them are with people and it's like are we shaming the women for attempting adulterous relations are we do we not like michael is this supposed to endear us to him because this is very much in the first act i think that that scene is there to show us that he doesn't really treat women with respect they're Mm -hmm. you know he can't he doesn't remember this chick's phone number that gave it to him like an hour ago right like he doesn't treat women very well yeah and so that is con it's contrasted later with his sort of transformation where he realizes that through treating a woman badly to get to another woman as a woman right like that's the problem it's, yeah it's yeah, ambiguous yeah. right like at the and at the end like do i don't know that has he really learned his lesson right maybe but i don't know because we we never hear about sandy other than that she poor is sandy is just cast off by the end of the I film i know right? we don't even ever see her again except for her name that she's in his play still so like do we trust that he's had a great transformation i i don't i don't know and what's perhaps even more important to the plot of the film we don't know what happens with dorothy right we don't know how the show right she i think julie says something kind of tosses off a comment at the end about what happens how they wrote around it or something but yeah Dorothy is never made good on, right? So we don't know the lasting impact of this masculine femininity or this male femininity, this empowerment. I don't know what it does, right? We don't know what happens to the show, which becomes very central to the plot of the film for most of the film itself. Well, what probably happens is this. I mean, right, if Dorothy is just written out of the show, then 
her last hurrah is that this entire time she was not woman empowering women she was a man right which michael takes upon himself to make that reveal right so he doesn't he kind of pulls that empowerment away because they don't have this female icon anymore it's just a man right he takes it away yeah one more theme i wanted to take a look at is the idea of homo socialism or homo social bonds yeah or even homoerotic bonds right all of these men yeah. are attracted to Dorothy. Are they attracted because of her power? Are they attracted because she has masculine qualities? Are, is this like a narcissist mirror? People are starting to find in people what they want to see in themselves. Dorothy's a powerful person, so they're in love with her because she's strong. And these are all older men, too, we should mention. Mm-hmm. So what do you think is going on there? Well, I, I think it's important that they're both older men, and especially Julie's father is a very sort of heteronormative he took two pictures his whole life one of them was at his high school graduation and the other one was was at his wedding and both of them had his wife in them like he's a no-nonsense man's man he also says if you had kissed me i you wouldn't be breathing yeah right so so cringeworthy like yes. super straight edge masculine heteronormative however the the uh the actor does not seem to be nearly as uh, worried by the reveal, um, and I think, and 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 there's, and I think there's the implication too that Julie's father and Michael make up at the end. Like it might not be, they're not going to be best friends, but they seem to be okay. Well, they, he basically gives him his blessing to date his daughter. Yeah, and so I think what happens there, I think the film is trying to sort of point out that. Same-sex desire is perhaps not a... It's not an exception to the rule. Uh, because that's the sort of plot with Dorothy and Julie, too. Is that Dorothy comes on to Julie and Julie's like, I want to, but I can't. I'm not ready. Basically, I'm not ready to be like an, a person who's out. Right? But she misses Dorothy and wants Dorothy in the same way that like the older men want Dorothy. And yeah, I, so I think what it's doing is... is, is trying to chip away at the idea that we are all one one or the other right you're this or that there are these the, again these boundaries are ambiguous i think is what the film is trying to tell us in a in a you know a very kid glove way i think you're right and i think it would be useful if i gave my thesis here because i think i try to capture this sense of ambiguity you're talking about or this sense of confusion that I think I'm initially talking about when we mm-hmm. start this episode. So I say, like, I don't really know what this film wanted to say about gender or equality. By the end, I think I think that's still ambiguous or ambivalent even, right? Or maybe it's just confused overall. So pick the term you think best applies. I think it's probably a mix of all of those in a lot of ways. It wavers between mansplaining and also just reveling in this pseudo screwball comedy. Mm-hmm. And... At the end of the day, I don't know if Michael does anything with this newfound empathy, right? Is it useful? Can we learn anything as the audience? And I don't ultimately don't know if we can. Yeah, I, I you know, I had a lot of trouble putting together a thesis, but I really do think that it, it hinges on ambiguity. I really think that, that that's what it's getting at. And I think maybe that's the point, is that all of these things are am- ambiguous and the film ends ambiguously for us. Do you find this ambiguity problematic in and of itself like as a viewer 
if you're not looking at this critically, do you think this gives you confused ideas about gender or equality or what the case should be? I mean, <sighs> like, imagine you're not you, right? Imagine you're 1982. <laughs> viewer or you see this for the first time as just a non-critical general participant in the film i think that the 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 film gives you an easy way as a as a as a man to say yeah women have it kind of tough and maybe we should be less shitty to them i think that's the the very easy surface level reading this film uh that you know like if you have a little bit of empathy for women and you understand that what they go through is not necessarily what a man goes through on a day-to-day basis then we've made some headway. That is a very sort of, again, I'm skimming the very top. Sure. Because I think, returning back to Sandy, Sandy is used, abused, and cast off by the end of the film. We never see her again. She might as well be silent at the conclusion. Dorothy is made silent as well. The last person to really speak is Michael, and Julie is accepting of what he has to say. And so, it really just continues to empower the patriarchy at the end, I think. And I think it might right. be a little concerning that all these women have to fall silent by the end. Yeah, because you're right. I mean, there is the men do come out as I mean, it's Michael's story. It's Michael's story. He has to become a right. woman to be a better man. In the end, it feeds his goal as a, as a man to become right. a better it, man. It feeds masculinity or manhood. Yeah. But I think it does give us a, an understanding of masculinity that is not as straightforward perhaps. and easy and heteronormative yeah i think i think what it does is say you know you need to engage in some of these other gender roles or or gender experiences to be a, a modern and better man so it's sort of a feminization of manhood which i get i mean i think that that at the end of the day is probably a good thing yeah i think that's a good message i think it might just be lost in some potentially dangerous messages as well yeah, and I mean, this is a film that would never get made today. You could not make this film today. Right. Because it would be too fraught with other things. But in 1982, right, it can a lot of this can hide behind, the like you said, the screwball comedy element. And you can laugh a little bit at, you know, Michael yanking that man out of the cab. Or, you know, right. th- these these moments that he has, you know, like with the baby and all these and these sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Whereas today, I think these things are all, are already out in the open, and to make them, you know, light and and funny undermines a lot of like people's actual day to day lived experiences. Not that they weren't having them in the eighties, but it just wasn't. This is not the kind of conversation that was being had in the eighties. And we have no conversation of of transgender at all in this nineteen eighty two. Exactly. Film. Exactly. So, Ethan, why don't we jump to our three questions because we're pretty much already in them already. Yeah, you're right. So our first question, do we care about this film? Uh, yeah, I think we do. I think it's it, it we have to as a as a way to begin thinking about, you know, masculinity today, you know, these this is a this I think in a lot of ways breaks some ground. Yeah, I think it is a perhaps strange or misshapen interruption in our ideas of femininity, masculinity, manhood, womanhood. But I think that's important, right? It is strange in a lot of ways because I think it does a confused job at some of the things we've mentioned. I think it does an okay job some places and a downright poor job in others. But I think right. that is a discussion point, right? That is a point that we can we can look at and say, okay, here's our entry into this discussion. Yeah, I think it's a very soft entry into that. I think that it's a way that you can 
bring this up with people who you might not be able to otherwise. What do we owe to this film? Uh, Well, Mrs. Doubtfire immediately, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Mrs. Doubtfire, of course, is a film that that comes right out of this. Uh, I I don't know how to answer this question. So I was looking at it, Ethan, and I think this might be the first major American film who has a protagonist doing the gender swap thing for as a central theme of the film mm-hmm. we get things later and of course there are meat there is media before this that does it right think of any shakespeare play performed right. on stage it's men dressed as women which michael points out of course mm-hmm. but they're also you know like 12th night and things like that obvious gender swap gender reversal plays mm-hmm. of shakespeare but i think this particularly brings it to the more popular media of the modern age right no longer renaissance or antiquity plays we've got something mainstream up in front of people so i think it's important for that right and i think you know it's pretty obvious miss doubtfire comes out of this but and i knew miss doubtfire before this film i didn't know tootsie before it became you know came up on the list yeah, no, I knew about it, but I had not seen it. Um, it had been on my list of things to see. Yeah, I mean, I think that maybe this is this is one of the films that that we could consider, you know, modern or whatever that treats this as a semi serious subject, right? It's not a genre convention or a stage convention like we're thinking about in 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 Shakespeare's time, right? Where you can't have women on stage, and it's and it's made for semi-serious effect right it's still wrapped in comedy um but it's done so in a way that does attempt to it's a sort of uh walk a mile in somebody's shoes sort of narrative with specifically about gender and and you know like gender in the workplace Mm -hmm. so uh, yeah i think that maybe this does pave the way for you know some further empathy and these sort of prince popper walk a mile in your shoes well then our final question ethan is does this film hold up oh god yeah it's funny as hell um now it has some moments that are that are a little cringeworthy today uh and that are a little problematic today but in general uh dustin hoffman is great the the, these performances are excellent jessica lang of course my girlfriend you know is is perfection and it's funny and you know it i think it gets across what it's trying to get across without ending up being sort of dated and offensive you know in a large sense i think i kind of go the opposite way with this one i think the star power of dustin hoffman is really the only thing that's keeping me watching this film and that's all retroactive right like i've seen dustin hoffman in a lot of later films in this right and so i don't really cling to him as a good actor in this movie i don't know if I think he does an okay job. I don't know if he does a fantastic job, but I did find a lot of these things somewhat offensive and more than that, just confusing overall. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like you're handing me these, these mixed messages and me as an audience member, I don't know what to do with them. So I'm not actually sure this one holds up all that well. So it sounds like you have a different take and I think, (laughs) I I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong to have that. Right. I just, for me, for my personal viewing, I, I think it doesn't hold up for me. But I can very easily see why it does for you. Yeah, and hey, I mean, I would watch this again, and I would tell other people to watch it again. I think the, I just, I enjoy the world. I enjoy its, you know, baby steps message. Uh, only in the understanding that like the world has moved on quite a bit since this, right? Maybe the way I'm answering this question is that the world has moved on a, a little bit, if not 
a decent bit. And I think that's why a film like this kind of gets caught in the past that way. But I mean, the thing is, is that, I mean, you could show this film to people today and there's certainly a group of people that would find it rip-roaringly funny and see no problem with any of the things happening except maybe they feel a little icky about the same sex stuff so i think that you know in 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 that case which is a very uncritical view of this film it i certainly think it would hold up i mean there are bad movies being made like i feel like this as a sort of excellent example of filmmaking from the early 80s there are lots of films that are basically made the same way now that are just bad films. I mean, these are like some of the, you know, if you've seen any of these Medea films, I mean, they're not good films. And they're about cross-dressing and they like play, you know, and that's also wrapped up in a lot of minstrelsy stuff. But like, those are bad films, you know. Right. And they and they do what this does. Like, if you made this film again today, like, this is why you couldn't make it today. Because what if you make it today, it ends up being something, you know, it's like a B-movie. There you have it. We get Medea from Tootsie. You're welcome. <laughs> Medea, or Tootsie plus minstrelsy is Medea. <laughs> there you go. Most basic equation. Well, next time, two weeks from now, we'll be back with number 68 on AFI's Top 100 list, 1992's The Unforgiven. The Unforgiven. Do I know what this film's about? Not at all. Um, I don't know that I do either. But until next time, I've been Matt Buzell. And I've been Dorothy. And there will be spoilers. There will be spoilers, I do declare. There Will Be Spoilers is hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. It's produced each week by Matt Bazell. Our artwork is by Becca Knight. You can find her on Twitter at BeccaTheKnight. Our great music was produced and created by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. You can check him out all over the internet. You can always find us on Twitter at SpoilersCast. And you can find us on Patreon if you would like to support us for only $5 a month. Also at Patreon.com slash SpoilersCast. Our email continues to be SpoilersCast at gmail.com. So send us some complaints hate mail and maybe a compliment or two remember please subscribe to us on soundcloud itunes or stitcher and we would really appreciate it if you would rate and review us on itunes it really helps thank you so much i ain't gonna hold it against her she knew me back then she knew what no good son of a bitch i was she just ain't allowing that i've changed don't realize I ain't like that no more. Well, you know, Will. Ain't the same, Ned. Claudia, she straightened me up. Say, Will. Yeah. That was the first one. First one what? First one I ever killed. What about the spectacle and the fancy clothes? I guess I'd rather be blind and ragged than dead. You don't have to worry, kid. I ain't gonna kill you. You're the only friend I got. Well, sir, you are a cowardly son of a bitch. You just shot an unarmed man. Well, he should have armed himself. He's gonna decorate his saloon with my friend. <laughs>